Thank you for listening to the New Life Church podcast. If you need any information about our church or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at newlifekingman.com. Your grace upon us. God, that you pour out your grace on our family, our children to a thousand generations. We thank you, Jesus, that you, God, are for us and you are working in our behalf, God. We thank you that you're healing and delivering, God, that you are setting people free, God, that you are touching lives right now. And Father, we come before you and lay at your feet our every need, God, and we glorify you. We magnify you today, Jesus, and we love you and we praise you and we magnify you. God, for you alone are worthy, my God. You alone are worthy, God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Let's just tell the Lord we love him one more time. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. He is so good. Amen. You could be seated this morning. Amen. We want to release all the teenagers, junior high, high school. You're free to go. See, Alex is waving his hand back there. Amen. Also, before we get started, first of all, let's, I want to welcome. <laughs> Technology. In Jesus' day, they didn't have to worry about cords and stands and breakable things. and they didn't worry about none of that. Anyway, we want to welcome you today. God bless you. Glad that you're here in person. Glad that you're joining us online today. Amen. We are so glad that you're worshiping God with us. Amen. And also today, what I want to do is I want to say a very special thank you uh, to all those that signed up to help us with Children's Church. I challenged you last week about uh, getting involved in our children's ministry, and many people signed up, and so that was uh, a, a wonderful thing, and so we thank you for that. Amen. Give them a hand. Hallelujah. Um, listen, and if you haven't had your chance to sign up, you can still. My wife is sitting right there, and she will take your name, phone number, email, uh, directions to your house, and the security code to your house, and we will come get you. No, no, that's not true, uh, but, but we will get your phone number and email, and so uh, we want to communicate with you. So if you'd still like to be involved, see my wife, and we'll make sure that uh, uh, we uh, uh, touch base with you. Amen. Isn't God good this morning? Hallelujah. I love that song that we just did. That such a powerful song. I love it for several reasons. Uh, probably the first one is I love the fact that it talks about our family. Um, and I love the fact that the, the first part of the song comes out of Numbers chapter 6. It's a blessing that God gave to Aaron to give to the people. And uh, Kathy and I, when we pray, every morning we pray that blessing over our family, over our church, over our lives, over you, uh, that God's favor and his countenance would rest upon you, that it be poured out upon you. Uh, because we believe that uh, God wants to do that. I also love that, uh, that uh, song because it talks about God being for us. You know, and so often in this life, there are things that are against us, but it's, it's such a comforting thing to know that God is on our side. Can you say amen? And that He is with us. Today, I want to minister to you uh, a message that... Uh, I've been looking forward to it. had a good time this morning in the 8.30 service, and so uh, as you see from my title, well, that's strange. 
so we ought to have fun with that this morning. Um, and so I believe God's going to speak to you. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to First Peter, First Peter chapter 4 today, looking at verses 12 and 13. And I'm going to go ahead and read that right from the get-go, and then we are going to dive into this message. Uh, so the Bible says this, starting in verse 12, 1 Peter 4. It says, Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. Now, here's the thing that I want to say to you this morning. It is, a, it is always amazing to me how often and how consistently we think it's strange when difficult days or moments come into our lives. Now, I want you to think about that. I, I, I've been a, an observer of humanity for a while. One of my favorite things to do is to sit in a, in a public place, a crowded place, and just watch people. It is extremely entertaining to watch human, humanity. And it always amazes me uh, when you think about people and think about how we react and what we go through and is how often people are taken aback. It's almost like they're surprised when a difficult day, it's like they're taken off guard. It's like, what? This is, how can this be happening to me? What, what, what's going on? God, what are you, what are you doing? Why, why is this, why is this happening? My, my, my boss don't like me. I, I, I told him I was a Christian, and all of a sudden they started mocking me. I told somebody I was praying for them, and they, they said, don't do me any favors. Or, or, or I, I've just tried to live honestly, and I got mocked for it. Or then we have those moments in life where things don't seem to add up, and it's like, God, why, why isn't it adding up? Why? Why, why is this trouble happening? And it's almost like we're surprised when difficult moments come into our life. And the Bible tells us, don't think it's strange concerning the fiery trial, as though some strange thing has happened to you. In fact, the Bible has been very clear to prepare us that difficult days will come. Can you say amen? In John chapter 16, verse 33 Jesus speaking, he says, these things I have spoken to you, that in me, so that in me that you'll have peace. He says, in the world, you will have tribulation. He didn't even stumble over his words, did he? He says, in the world, you're going to have some trials and tribulations. There's going to be some difficult moments. He says, but be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. The Bible is telling us very clearly that difficult moments in life are a part of life. Sometimes the car gets a flat tire. Sometimes the battery goes dead. Amen? Sometimes the kids throw a baseball through the window. Amen? Sometimes the stoplights in Kingman don't cooperate with your schedule. Amen? 
you know, if you're like me, you believe it's a conspiracy. <laughs> Friday, we, Kathy and I were down in Havasu Friday, and I was convinced the same guy that set up the lights in Kingman set them up in Havasu. <clears throat> because they all seem to go red when I come into town. That's kind of how I am. I'm just like, you know, it's just, it's, it's me and me alone, Lord. I'm the only one, you know, kind of like Elijah under the tree, you know. I'm the only one that really wants to serve God. Everybody else is just posers. <laughs> right? Isn't that how we feel sometimes? It's like, no, if you really knew what I was going through, you would have sympathy for me. If you knew what might, it's, it's kind of like my wife and I. My wife and I have been struggling a little bit. Our, our, it's not our marriage, thank God, but it's our legs. You say, what? Well, my wife for the last couple of weeks has had a pinched nerve and she's got this pain in her leg and she moans a lot. <laughs> and so I, I, I say to her, she'll, she'll get in bed and she'll go, Ugh. I go, Really? Really? Do you got to huff and puff? So the other day, I twisted my knee. If you didn't notice, last week I about collapsed on stage. Did you, you didn't notice that, did you? Some did. Some noticed. I, I got up there, and it was like somebody shoved a knife in my leg. So now I'm huffing and puffing. And now we have this competition on who can huff and puff the loudest. <clears throat> And I look at her and go, if you had the pain I have, you'd have a reason to huff and puff. And she looks at me and she goes, hey, buddy, you don't even know what pain is. <laughs> Isn't that how life is? We just like to get in competition and we, we just don't get it. But it's all a part of life, isn't it? There's good days, there's bad days. And you know what I've learned is, here's the secret, how you face trials is going to determine whether you have victory or not. Do you understand that? How you face that trial, your response <coughs> to the difficulty in life is incredibly important. Listen to me. Listen to these words. I want you to listen to this because we're going to go through a lot of Scripture. In 1 Peter chapter 3, it's going through verse 9 and then to 13. It says this. Listen to what Peter says. He's beginning his book. He said, Blessed be God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible and undefiled and that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. Now, let's stop there just for a moment. I love this. What does he say? He goes, for a little while, if it's necessary. When is a problem in your life necessary? Amen, whether it's a little while or not. But that's what he's saying. He goes, you know what? Even now, he goes, I know you're rejoicing over the salvation thing and it's wonderful. He goes, but right now, for a little while, if it's necessary, you've been grieved by various trials so that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ, whom having 
whom, having not seen, you love, though now you do not see him, yet believing you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your soul. Now jump to verse 13. Here is the key. Therefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober and rest your hope fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I, can, I, I will say to you, it is my belief that this is the problem right here, is that we don't gird up the loins of our mind. We are not prepared. Jesus did everything he could to prepare us. He does not whitewash life. Jesus does not come and tell us it's all going to be, you know, uh, uh, lilies in the field. He says, look it, there's going to be some trials and tribulations. There's going to be some difficulties. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that statement, gird up the loins of your mind, is a, a word picture. It's a picture of word. Because culturally, what would happen in the first century is, is men of dignity, men that were you know, that they were lawyers or they were religious people or whatever. They wore these robes, but they would have a belt. And the Bible uses this word gird. It meant to take the robes and it, they would tuck it into that belt so that if that was necessary for them to move quickly, they would gird up the loins. They would gird themselves up so they didn't have a tripping hazard. See, and that's the problem I believe that happens to most Christians is because we are unprepared. What ends up happening is we trip over our own robe of righteousness. And we start fumbling and we start squirming and we begin to wonder, what's going on? Nothing's going on. There's no conspiracy. And then worse yet, what we then do is because we are taught as Christians that the devil is our enemy, so then we begin to put things that are just about life into his camp, thereby glorifying and empowering him greater than what he really is. He is a defeated foe. Can you say amen? Jesus took the power of the devil the authority of the devil, and he took it back. He has no power and authority in your life. The only thing that he has is what you give him. <clears throat> and through our unpreparedness, we end up empowering the devil in our life. See, Peter wrote this letter about 30 years or so after the death and resurrection of Jesus. And the Christians at this time were being abused, they were being threatened, they were being ridiculed for their faith. Many of them were losing their homes and their businesses. They were being rejected by family members. And on the horizon of their lives, the possibility of much more violent forms of persecution were coming. And it was a very anti-Christian society. It was a very difficult time to live for Jesus. And many wondered if they could make it. They wondered <coughs> if it was worth it. They wondered if there was any hope at all. And the question these believers had is probably the same question that we have today. How can I have the strength of spirit? How can I have joy inexpressible? How can I have strong faith in these times, not just to endure the day, but how can I thrive and be fruitful in the kingdom? Because that's what we're called to do. Our fruitfulness and our thriving, our victory, was never to be dependent upon the circumstances of our life. 
He causes us not to endure, but he calls us to overcome. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So how then, when your life is in jeopardy, on your job, in your marriage, in your health, or with your children, when all that's under attack, how, when your life is falling apart, how do you remain stable and stand strong and hold your ground? How do you do that? The Bible expects that of us, but it does not expect that of us on our own. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Because it takes a power, a power of our soul, of our spirit, that is utterly beyond us. And that's what I want to talk about this morning, is I want to talk about finding strength in the day of trouble. Peter begins this letter to troubled Christians by telling them there's hope. It's not just any hope. It's a living hope. Literally, it's a supernatural dynamic beyond human ability or strength. It's living, growing, multiplying, and without measure, there's always more than enough of this hope. It's the kind of hope that will set you free in the worst of your nightmares. It's the kind of hope that has a tangible feel. When, when it's applied, you feel its impact. This is what Peter encourages these persecuted Christians with. And it's what I want to encourage you with this morning. See, there's nothing better than good news on a bad day. Even a little good news will wake you up on a bad day. I mean, we've all had it. I mean, we've been, you know, all of us, we've ha- we have those days, right? It's those kind of days where it would have been better off had we stayed in bed. With those kind of days, it would have been better off if we just skipped it altogether. Just move on to the next day. Let's forget this day. Those days, though, you're at work or you're at home or you're at church or heaven's sakes, wherever you're at, it's a bad day. But then all of a sudden, something happens, doesn't it? Maybe the boss comes to you and says, hey, instead of taking a half hour, why don't you take an hour for lunch? Or maybe he says, hey, look it, we all love this, you know, especially those that are in service business where, where the boss comes and says, hey, so-and-so came or called and, and they canceled our last appointment, so we're all getting off early. That's good news on a bad day, isn't it? I mean, it can be just a little bit, just a little bit, and it brightens us up. It's like, oh, thank God there is, there's hope. Thank God I'm going to make it. I'm going to get through. I'm not going to die here. So good news on a bad day. And that's what this is. That's what the word of God is, is good news for a bad day. Listen to me. Peter doesn't shy away from the difficulties. Peter doesn't disavow himself from difficult living. In fact, if you want to have a life that has some dimension to it, you're going to have to embrace the contrast of good and bad. See, the problem with Christianity is we tend to like to live in pie in the sky. I, now, look at Please do not misunderstand me. I absolutely believe we're victorious. I absolutely believe we're overcomers. And I absolutely believe that God is for us, working in our behalf all the time. He is there. But Jesus said, not John, Jesus said, in this world, you will have some tribulation. There's going to be some difficulties. And it's not always the devil. Sometimes it's just life. Okay, a little bit of sludge flows into every life. If, you know, do you, does everybody remember the movie um, uh, uh, Forrest Gump? You remember when he was in that running scene? You know, he's running and this, some guy comes up and says, hey, what do you want to say? What do you want to say? 
you got something to say to America, and he doesn't say nothing, and all of a sudden he steps in some dog poo, and the guy goes, you just stepped in, and I won't say what he said, and Forrest goes, well, it happens. <laughs> they came up with the bumper sticker. I, I won't repeat the bumper sticker here, but I imagine I've got your attention at this point. Well, it does. It happens. It happens. The reality is that sometimes we're just not ready. But Peter doesn't shy away from it. In fact, in 1 Peter 1, 6 through 7, he says this, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a while, if need be, you have been grieved by various trials. But then he goes on, he says, that the genuineness of your faith, <coughs> being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter doesn't deny their trouble, but what he does is he refocuses their attention to the result of what's going on. God, listen to me, God wastes nothing. God is not the author of everything, but God wastes nothing. Some of the trials that you go through, it's just life. Some of the trials you go through are because the enemy's attacking you, no doubt. Some of the trials you go through is because you've made bad decisions. You've sown in a place you shouldn't have sown, and you threw out seed you shouldn't have thrown out. Okay? But God does not author bad days. If God's the author of anything, he's the author and finisher of our faith. Are you hearing me? But God will not let a bad day go by without using its potential to change us for our benefit and his glory. Are you hearing what I'm saying? So Peter refocuses their attention to the result. See, the simplest and most effective way to lose hope is to be consumed with the problem. And that's so easy. It's easy, and the reason it's easy to be consumed with the negative is because we are predisposed to that. We're hardwired because of sin, because of this thing that we, we've come out of. It's this training. And so negative is a lot easier to see for us. And so it's a lot easier to believe in the negative. It's a lot easier to focus on it. And so what we do is we focus on the negative. We, we focus so much that we forget all the good that's around it until we can see nothing but negative. And sometimes we wonder, why is this problem so big? <clears throat> it's not because it's so big. It's because your focus is so intense. Because I guarantee you the goodness of God is infinitely bigger than any problem that you will ever face. But because we focus on the problem, we make it stronger, we make it bigger, we make it more vicious, we make it more powerful because we're giving it our attention. So he teaches them how to refocus, to have strength, and to stand their ground and remain stable. In other words, he teaches them how to respond to difficult days. He says, therefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Gird it up. Rest your hope, hope in the, fully on the grace that is to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Literally, we're to prepare our minds. We are to prepare our minds. And we are to rest our hope fully on the grace, the divine ability of God. So the question then for me is, 
how are we to respond to our trials with grace? Because that's what he's saying. Respond to your trial with grace. Now, that sounds a little bit, and we'll get into this here in a minute, like we're just saying, hey, just endure. Just suck it up. But that's not what he's saying. So here's the question. How do we practically do this in everyday life? How do I do this when I'm struggling at Safeway? I'm impatience is overtaking or I'm getting frustrated with other people. How do I do this on my job? How do I do this in my home? How do I do this with my children? How do I do this in my marriage? How do I do this? How do I do this? First and foremost, first thing, don't think it's strange. You say, why is that? Why, why would you say that? Well, I think the reason that I say that is because that's indicative of an unprepared mind. It's, it's, see, see, the problem is, church, as Christians, we have a tendency to wait till the problem happens. See, what we have to do is be preparing. While things are good, you prepare. In Proverbs, it says it this way, and, and it uses language that's rather aggressive, so please, please forgive me. I'm not trying to make a statement about the language. But it says, go to the ant, thou sluggard. And consider her ways. Why? Because see, what they do is ants prepare all summer long, so when winter comes, they're fully prepared to endure through the season. The problem with human beings is we have a tendency to push things off. I'll deal with that when I get there. When you get there, you're not ready. You will not have what you need to cross that bridge. Are you hearing what I'm saying? And then we find it strange. Why has this always happened to me? I, can't, I don't get it. I don't get why this is happening. Why do you think that's strange? You know, you, 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 you go and, you, you know, we all have had this experience. We get saved and we become a witness and we go tell people about Jesus and all of a sudden we find out they are not quite as enthused about it as we are. Why is that strange? Jesus is the one that said, if they hated me, they're going to hate you. <clears throat> so when we think things are strange, what that's telling us is that somewhere along the line, we're not being deliberate. We're just going with the flow. The second thing is change your perspective. It's often said that perspective is everything. How you view your situation will often determine your reaction to it. Scripture teaches us that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. He didn't say all things are good. He said all things work together for good. The Apostle Paul regarded these tests as opportunities to grow spiritually. Instead of grumbling when he encountered trials, Paul said he would glory in his infirmities that the power of Christ would rest upon him. Think about this for a minute. 2 Corinthians 12, verses 9 and 10, it says, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my grace is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, more gladly, I would rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in my infirmities and reproaches and in needs and persecutions and distress for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul chose to trust God and accept the grace of 
that he gives us. And the result is he grew spiritually. Now, you need to think about this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. We get this picture. See, I really believe this is one of the most uh, misinterpreted or misexplained chapters in all the Bible. Because we often come at this as if God wants us just to endure. Just, you just, you know what, I'm going to give you enough grace so you can get through it. You show me where in the Bible God has ever been a God of getting through it. Where he's been a God of just maintain. A God of just, hey, just hunker down and just play it safe. He's never that way. God is always a God of going forward, of expansion, of addition and multiplication. God is a God that aggressively reaches forward for something that we can't even yet see. In fact, the only place in the Word of God where God deals with this thing of maintaining was in the parable of the talents and the guy that got one talent. What did he do? He buried his talent in the ground because he wanted to keep it safe so he didn't lose it so that he maintained it. And he got the worst rebuke in all of the New Testament. Why? Because he just maintained it. And somehow we interpret this with, well, my grace is sufficient. Here, Paul, I had a thorn in the flesh, and it's like, well, you know, my grace, you just, you know, just suck it up. You know, the word grace means divine ability. My divine ability is sufficient for you. My ability to overcome. God is an overcomer. God is victorious. God overcomes the problem. He does not maintain just through it. Listen to Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. He says, and not only that, but we also glory in tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance, and perseverance character, and character hope. Now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Unless you change your perspective about difficult moments, you will become bitter. See, when you have a perspective that says, wait a second, this tribulation, though it may not be from God, though it is maybe hell or maybe it's life or maybe I messed up, the reality is it's going to produce something into me because what I'm going to do is I am going to face it in the grace of God. And I'm going to face it with victory. And I'm going to face it with purpose. And I am going to make good decisions here because I'm going to gird up the loins of my mind. I'm not going to think it's strange but I'm going to change my perspective because God is doing something in my behalf. Can you say amen? Amen. You could be confident this morning that God will not allow anything to happen to you without his permission. He will never leave you or forsake you in the struggle but he actually promises that he will stick closer than a brother. See, I think what we have to do, church, is we have to get back to reading the Bible as what it says rather than hearing it through the opinions of others who have tried to soften the truth. The third thing we need to do, first, we don't think it's strange. Second, we change our perspective. Third, we give thanks. Sometimes being thankful in difficult situations is the most difficult thing you can do. 
Yet scripture is very clear about this kind of response. In 1 Thessalonians 5.18, he says, In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God concerning you in Christ, or concerning of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's the problem when you read it in several different versions. You memorize it in the one you don't have in the notes. Now notice he didn't say, praise God for everything, but in everything. It's a very big, big difference. I don't praise God that my knee got twisted for it, but I am praising him in it. You notice that I'm kind of sticky close to the pulpit, don't you? Because I'm not going to be embarrassed. Because if I go down, great is the fall, you know what I'm saying? And some of you big old guys, strong guys are going to have to help me get up and it's just not even going to be pretty. That kind of fall is not a pretty fall. I don't fall pretty and gracefully. I usually fall and everybody's like, oh dear God. (laughs) But the reason I can praise God in it is because I'm convinced he's my healer. And you go, well, you're not healed. Yeah, I am. Now, I'm not denying the reality. It hadn't manifested yet. But you know what? Somewhere along the line, my word says that I am healed in Jesus' name. And he is my healer, and I will not allow my circumstances to dictate my confession or my identity. I am a child of God, blood-bought in Jesus Christ. And I praise him for all that he is and who he is. And I will not allow my circumstances to tell me who I am. Period. Because my circumstances will change. Trying to live your life by circumstances is like putting your sail up in your boat in the middle of a storm. What happens is the sail rips off your mast. Tears up your boat. Somewhere along the line, what you do is you come back into trust and you thank God for that which he has given you. And you go, God, you're a big God. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 through 15 says, For it is God which works in you both to his will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Let me say that again. I'm going to repeat it. Do all, underline all. The Greek word for all means everything. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Somewhere, church, what we got to do is stop responding and grumbling and complaining. We need to thank God in all things. And this means we thank God. We don't thank God for the evil, but we thank God in it. You say, why? Because this is an opportunity for me to see the strength of God. This is an opportunity for me to see the hand of God move in my life. See, being thankful rather than complaining is a conscious act of the will, and it is a sacrifice of our natural desire. Psalms 107.22 says this, let them sacrifice the sacrifices of thanksgiving and declare his works with rejoicing. It's a sacrifice. It's interesting that if you do a study on Jonah, you remember Jonah, the guy that got swallowed by the great big fish? 
In chapter 1, we have the, the story, we have the parts of the story where it talks about him being called to Nineveh, and he doesn't want to go, so he's going to head the other way. He gets on the boat, the storm comes, God prepares this great big fish, and, the, and, and there's such rich, rich truth in this story. And so the first thing that all the guys do on the boat is they throw everything of any value overboard first, and then they pray. That is a whole sermon in itself. That's what we usually do. We're struggling. We have this crisis going on, and we go. We gather everything that has any value, our testimony, our faith, our relationships, and everything else, and we go, oh, we don't need this crap. Get it off. That's got to be what's causing my boat to sink, not this storm or the fact that this guy down in the bottom of my boat is running from God. So then they pray, and they figure out, and Jonah comes up and goes, hey, guys, uh, Sorry all your stuff's gone, but I'm the problem. Maybe you throw me off. And they do. They throw him off. Storm's gone. I could see him turn the boat around. We got to get that stuff. Hopefully it's floating. That's a whole other sermon, though. I digress. But then the Bible says that the fish comes up and swallows Jonah. And for three days and nights, Jonah is in the belly of this fish. And he begins to pray. I suppose I would, too. And he begins to pray and he starts talking about, in Jonah chapter 2, he starts talking about, oh God, he turns his eyes back to the temple. And why is that important to understand? Because he's turning his eyes back to the presence of God. And he says, I'm turning back to you, God. I, I'm repenting. I'm changing my mind about my last consideration about going to Nineveh. <laughs> I, you, I, I'm, I'm thinking I went the wrong way. And then he goes down, and it's, it's, it's great language. It's a wonderful study, and I would love to do it with you from the pulpit. It, it's, it's great. But he gets down towards the bottom, and then the Bible says this in, in verse 9, and Jonah offered the sacrifice of thanksgiving. So you say, well, so watch the timeline. He says, God, I'm not going, gets on the boat. The fish comes. They throw him overboard. He's in the belly. He prays and repents. And then he, he's still in the belly. He is still in the belly of the fish when he's offering the sacrifice of thanksgiving. <clears throat> what is he doing? He is paying in advance for something that has yet happened. And he says, God, thank you, thank you, thank you. And he offers the, the prayer of thanksgiving, the sacrifice of thanksgiving. Verse 10, and the fish spits him up on the shore. That is not a coincidence. Neither is it a coincidence when Jesus is confronted with feeding 5,000 men plus their families with a few loaves of bread and a few fish, and he says, Father, he looked, actually the Bible says the reason I did that is it says he looked into heaven. He got his eyes off his need and got it on the one that can actually meet the need. And he said, Father, thank you that you've heard my prayer. And he does that again at the tomb of Lazarus just before he raises him from the dead. He offers thanksgiving before the answer comes. Well, how long do I got to do that until you see the answer? The fourth thing is rejoice. Along with giving thanks, 
We're instructed to rejoice in all things. In, he, in Philippians 4, 4 through 8, it says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and mind through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, Whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of a good report, if there's any virtue, if there's any, anything praiseworthy, think on these things. So he literally tells us, this is the wonderful thing about Scripture, church. He tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. And then he tells us exactly how to do that, how to bring about that rejoicing. One is to let your gentleness be known to men. Don't be anxious. Everything in prayer. Give thanksgiving. There's that again. And then he tells us exactly how to think. And he says, think on the positive things and meditate on that. And he says, you know what? That rejoicing will change everything. Fifth thing is to trust. When you experience a trial, choose to trust by faith. James chapter 2, verses uh, 2, 3, and 4 in the Message Bible says this. It says, consider it. A sheer gift, friends, when tests and challenges come to you from all sides. For you know that under pressure, your faith life is forced into the open and shows its true colors. So don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it do its work so you can become mature and well-developed, not, not deficient in any way. I love that. See, it's the trial that exposes what we're made of, isn't it? And he says, don't try to get out of anything prematurely. Let it have its work. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 35 says this, Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which has great recompense of reward. For you have need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might have the promise. Do you know what the, 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 the silent partner of faith is? Patience. That's another sermon. Beginning to see a sermon series develop. Not really. And finally, as we, we bring this to a close, Jason can come if he'd like. Cry out to God. Psalm 50, verse 15 says, Call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. You know, church, I think sometimes what we do is, at least, let me, let me just say this. I know this is what I do. So if you're like me, then, then, then this will help you. Is what happens is I get my eyes on the trial, on the difficulty. I begin to magnify it. I begin to glorify it. It begins to take on life because I'm giving it life. I'm, I have the power of life and death in me through, the, through my tongue. So I begin to meditate on my trial. Then I begin to speak about it. And I give it a life of its own. I, I breathe life into my trial. And then I stay focused. And I meditate and I think. And I think and I think. 
Then I begin to feel its weight. It begins to bum me out. Because now what it's actually doing is it has enough energy on its own that it begins to actually work on me. And it begins to wear me out. First, emotionally. It begins to work on my emotions. Because being emotionally tired is probably one of the most tired places you can be. And at the same time, it begins to work on my spirit. Because while all the time, incrementally, very slowly, it's pulling my spirit away from God. And meanwhile, what's happening now is because I'm feeling the weight of this, and I'm starting to feel fatigue emotionally and spiritually, my mind begins to kick in, and, and I start to come up with human logic as to why this is going on. And in my human logic, I begin to believe the lie that my problem is now communicating through the life that I gave it. And that is that God's not for me. That somehow he's overlooked me. And that he has put me in this situation because he doesn't care about me. And then it becomes a vicious circle. And as I float down that river of despair... I keep picking up speed. And it's not until I deliberately step out of the flow and say, wait a second, God, none of this is true. The only thing that's true here is I had a little difficult moment, but I gave it some life. And I, for the life of me, church, let me say this to you before I close. I am not trying, I know there are people in this place that you're struggling with trials that have real significance. Please don't misunderstand that. When I, when I say things of terms like little and small or, or insignificant, I, I, I desperately do not want to minimize uh, the significance of the pain or the struggle that you may be going through because it is real. Okay, People do struggle with deep things. But what I am saying is those things in comparison to the goodness of God are small compared to the goodness of God in our lives and that what he will do and and church I'm convinced that the reason most of us I'm convinced the reason I struggle is because I'm just not deliberate I'm 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 in that place where I find myself saying why is this happening to me and I get, I get kind of messed up. And so what, what I've learned to do, and, and I'm, I'm not there by any stretch of the imagination, but I'm, I'm working to get there, is that when I do go through a trial and a tribulation, when I go through one of those moments, I, I'm, I'm being more proactive. And then when I'm in the season of victory, that I make sure that I'm doing my due business. And, and, and what I'm, I'm saying is I, I'm, I'm preparing my mind I'm talking about the goodness of God and I'm talking about his grace and I'm being all those things. I'm, I'm exercising that in my mind. I'm, I'm building myself up so that when this season comes back through, I'm much more prepared and I recognize it for what it is. I think probably in all truthfulness, that's, that's where I'm at to some degree is that I can recognize it really well. <laughs> I'll tell Kathy, I'll, I'll look at her and I'll, we'll be driving to church and I'll go, yeah, I'm feeling the pressure. Hell's trying to get me off track. 
because of something I'm preaching or something that's going to happen or, or whatever. And I try to do my best, and sometimes I don't fare so well. But I'm learning, and I'm asking you to learn. I'm asking you to say, you know what, this is a, this is a plan. God gives us instruction. And if we'll do it, it will change us. Can you say amen? Why don't you bow your heads with me for a moment? Father, we just come before you in Jesus' name, and we thank you for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, for your revelation, God. We thank you for your word. I pray right now for everyone in this room that's struggling, God, whether it's just with a small thing or whether it's a life-changing event. Father, I pray for those that, that have deep fatigue in their emotions and their spirit, God, in, in their mind. Father, I pray, God, we do that. We cry out to you that you would come alongside us, Father. Lord, that we would feel your manifest active presence in our life. Father, that you would encourage our faith and strengthen us. And Father, we love you. We praise you. We glorify you today. I pray that you would move and minister among your people today. God, change them. Help them. Father, we need you. Holy Spirit, I pray, rest upon people today. Rest upon those, those burdens. Rest upon those struggles. God, change them. Take the ashes of our life, God. Make something wonderfully beautiful out of it. Father, we glorify you. And I wonder, as every head is bowed, every eye is closed, if you're here today and you say, <clears throat> I don't know Jesus is my Savior, but I would love to give my life to God. If that's you, would you lift your hand all across this place? Lift your hand and say, I need Jesus in my life. I need Jesus. I need to be forgiven. If that's you, raise your hand. Raise it up. Maybe somebody here back said, maybe at one time you walked with God, but today you find yourself disjointed. If that's you, would you raise your hand? Amen. Praise God. You can all look up at me today. You know what? God is so good, isn't he? He is so good. I, I, I preach this message to encourage you and to challenge you, and hopefully it's helped you today that, that you could get through these struggles. So we're going to ask our ministry team to come. They're going to come up front here and there, and they'll pray for you. So if you're here today and you have a need of any kind, Come on up, let our ministry team pray for you and believe God with you. The rest of us, let's go ahead and stand to our feet and we're gonna release you today. You go have a wonderful, wonderful Sunday afternoon and we will see you next week. God bless you. Thank you for listening to the New Life Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.